You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Hey, what's up, Team Buck? I hope you've had a fantastic holiday so far, a wonderful, joyous Christmas with uh, loved ones. And I'm just sending this out to you as a little extra over the holidays. You know, we've been uh, off for a few days. Hope you're enjoying some of the best doves, catching up on old podcasts you missed as well, and passing the buck. Because, guys, it's my birthday. And you know what Buck wants for his birthday? More people on Team Buck. So please tell loved ones, friends, coworkers, anybody that you're spending time with over this holiday season, you got to check out this guy, Buck Sexton's podcast. You've got to start downloading it. Subscribe to it on the iHeart app or on iTunes. Just the Buck Sexton show. Easy to find, even easier to listen to once you find it. Uh, but also want to take a moment to just say thank you uh, to all of you for continuing to listen to the show. We are growing every month. We're growing year after year. And in a very hyper competitive media environment these days, it is the the folks that tune in day in and day out that just make me want to do this more than anything else. I mean, I love this job. I love getting a chance to speak to all of you every day. And it's my birthday. And I even thought about just showing up today to do a live show on my birthday because I wanted to spend it with all of you. But I didn't want to drag producer Mark away from his uh, his wife and and his life and things like that. So I thought that today we might as well just uh, put out a special birthday message, and that's what we're doing. It's also an opportunity for me to tell you a couple of uh, fun facts about me. Yes, I was born on December 28th. Uh, my head was so big, as and I mean li- literally so big, um, as a baby that my mother had to bring me in. And if she's listening to this, she'll, I, she'll probably be laughing. She had to bring me into the doctor's office for a while uh, because they wanted to measure my head to make sure that it wasn't getting even bigger uh, because there could be some they were worried that there might be some fluid or something. And so I had such a big head that I had to go in for head measurements for like the first three months that I was a baby. Turned out I was within the norm. Uh, I was I was within the normal range, but at the very, very top of normal, which I think is true about me in a, in a variety of contexts, but certainly the my cranium size. Uh, is one of them. It's like Sputnik. It's huge. It was a big head for sure. I also uh, walked with so much difficulty as a kid. I had such bowed legs that they thought for a while that I would need to get surgery, corrective surgery, so that I'd be able to walk properly. And they, there was one doctor who objected to my name, Buck, or Buckaroo, because he thought that it was mocking me. This is true, <laughs> mocking me, uh, because I had really, really bowed legs as a kid. But the best uh, little anecdote from young, because hey, it's my birthday, so I'm just telling you random stories. The best anecdote that I have for you is that, despite the fact that I'm now a nationally syndicated uh, radio host, and that I believe I'm still the only person who have ever filled in for Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, and Rush Limbaugh on radio, uh, and that I filled in for Rush Limbaugh the first time I had been doing uh, radio for just about two years. So that's a pretty fast to have your first recordings uh, aired or have, rather have your first studio sessions out on the, it was the internet. I actually started on internet radio and then built my way onto or found my way, fought my way into terrestrial radio. Uh, but I had a speech impediment when I was a kid. I mentioned this to producer Mark before the break. And the impediment, people always ask what it was specifically. I just had trouble speaking. I was not, I didn't speak clearly. I mispronounced words. 
Um, there was not much of a diagnosis other than I just needed a lot of work on the way that I said things. But the, the most difficult part of it as a young kid, and this is when I was in the first or second grade of grammar school, as you know, my first name is James, but everyone calls me Buck because my middle name is Buckman. It's a family name. And I would tell people that my name, I would mispronounce things like cookie. I would call it a tookie. And I also would tell people my name was Butt. So I went around for quite some time as a young person introducing myself as Butt Sexton, which you can imagine caused its fair share of difficulties early in life. And so I had to go to a speech therapist for a few years. And around the same time, I was also taken out of school for additional tutoring because I was falling behind in class. I was considered a class clown. So I guess in some ways that was a, uh, an early indicator of things to come in my career later on. But I was considered a class clown. I was falling behind in work and I had a speech impediment. And my mother, who is the greatest mom in the world, to her uh, unending and enduring credit, said, no, no, we're going to keep him in. They wanted to put me in a special school. And so they, they kept me in normal school by giving me this additional uh, tutoring. They would pull me out of some classes to have one-on-one -on -one tutoring. I was very lucky that the resources were available for me to do this. And I had speech uh, speech therapist. And I'll, I'll never forget, actually, uh, not only, well, I'll get to that in a moment. I caught up. My speech improved. And I also academically, by the time I was in the, this was in the second grade, by the time I was in the fourth grade, the fifth grade, uh, I was far and away the best student in my class. In fact, by the time I was in the sixth grade, they started creating special curriculum for me in, uh, in history because the teachers thought it just wasn't challenging enough for me and I knew too much and I was bored in class. So they gave me additional assignments and I didn't have to do the normal work. Uh, so things turned around and I, I guess I tell you that story in one part because I have a, a tremendous uh, sympathy from my own experiences for people that ever always have to overcome, whether it's a health issue, learning disabilities, uh, and that the key is to just never, never, never give up and also to have parents who stay along with you every step of the way and encourage you. People need to be, when people always talk about support, support means encouragement. Support means being present for somebody when they need help, when they need assistance. It's one of the most important things, really is in a lot of ways, the most important thing you can do for someone that you, uh, that you love, that you care about. So I, for those of you who are parents in particular, if your kids are having a little bit of trouble in school or if they have any kind of a speech impediment or if they walk uh, with difficulty as I did, um, and if their head is so big that there were concerns that their neck musculature as a baby wouldn't be able to hold it up, which was also true, uh, it can all be it, it can all work out. You know, stay stay in it, stay in the fight, as we say, uh, shields high. So, I do remember later on I told you that I had been on the uh, speech and debate team in high school, and I actually went to a tournament and I won my first tournament, and it was so fun because I, I went up to a girl who was a year or two older than me. I guess she was a sophomore in high school. I was a freshman in high school at a party. And she was the, I found out when I started talking to her, she was the daughter of my speech therapist. I'd never met her before. I didn't even know about her. And, uh, you know, her mother, it, it just came up in conversation as we were talking. And uh, I got to tell her that I had just won my first speech and debate tournament and that she needed to pass that on to her mom. because so I thought that was quite a... Uh, you know, quite an endorsement of her ability as a, as a speech therapist and a speech coach. So, and then later on, um, there was the, I guess I'll, I also, because it's my birthday and I'll, 
tell random stories if I want to. Then there's the first time ever filling in for Rush Limbaugh, which I believe I may have told some of you before in the audience, but this is just another, this is a reminder of a few things. Murphy's Law, moms moms are amazing and can save you when you really need it. Um, so it was a couple of days before I was filling in for Rush Limbaugh. So now we've gone from me talking about Baby Buck all the way up to, I think this was 2014, maybe? Something like that, 2014, 2015. And I had a little bit of a cold. And I cannot remember any time in my life ever being completely without, uh, without my voice. And I get the call from Rush Limbaugh's team. I, I'll never forget. It's the only phone call I've ever received that I thought was fake that was real. And it was from uh, Kit Carson, may he rest in peace, who was one of Rush Limbaugh's most trusted and and beloved uh, you know team members for the uh, EIB network. Kit Carson called me up and said, "How'd you like to fill in for Rush Limbaugh?" And I practically, you know, I, I practically fainted. I mean, I was like, "Wait, what?" And because Rush has always been for me on radio. I mean, Rush is the ultimate. And so I, I said, "Yeah, of course." I mean, this is amazing. I had maybe about a month lead in before I knew I was going to get to do it. And it's a couple of days away from the actual fill in day. And I can feel I got a, I had a, I had a cold, but it mostly had passed. And then I had a weird tickle in my throat. And it's 48 hours from my first ever time filling in for Rush Limbaugh. The blaze where I was working at the time had already been uh, advertising this a little bit. You know, oh, Buck Sexton's going to fill in for Rush Limbaugh. So there was some excitement around that. It was, you know, I was really looking forward to it. And, I wake up and I have, for the first time, I think in my life, complete laryngitis. I have no voice whatsoever. Gone. I'm talking like this. Two days before I'm supposed to do the biggest radio show in the country, my debut, and I have no voice. Now, I know enough about this business to know that me pulling out of this, because I, it doesn't matter if I even got to talk to people, and it just would seem to... The people who knew that I was somehow being wimpy or bad. And I, one thing I will say about this business, I do not get nervous. I do not back out and I do not back down. There is no fear. I've never had fear doing this. I never will have fear doing this. This is how I roll. But I also need a voice if I'm going to talk on radio at some point, you know, uh, it just, it, you can't do what you can't do. I mean, and I remember being so scared that I wasn't going to be able to find my way to do the show and, um, my girlfriend at the time kept trying to calm me down and I was, I uh, was not working and we got to the day before the show and my voice was still gone and I'm just drinking all this throat coat tea and all this stuff. And I tell my, I call my mom, I call mom to the rescue on this one. It's my birthday. So I'm telling mom stories. And I said, mom, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I can't. And she, she could hear my voice. I could barely speak. I mean, she, I could just kind of whisper what I was trying to say and she's feeling really bad for me. She managed to convince a, she just kept reading. We were doing all this research on the internet. And, you know, how do you make your voice heard when you have really bad laryngitis? And there's a lot of, you know, urban, not urban legends, but home remedies, urban legends, I guess, whatever. And we found a doctor who specialized in vocal performance in New York City. And my mother convinced her to open her practice. She was on her way to the Hamptons, of course. Convinced her to open her practice at 9 a.m. the day of the fill-in just for me. And I go to this doctor's office. We're there when she opens the door to open her practice in New York City. And I walk in and she, she says, all right, let's see what we have. She looks in my throat and she says, you have no, there's no way you will be able to do a show. You have no, you will have no. And in fact, you could do permanent damage. Your vocal cords are so swollen 
Uh, there's so much inflammation that you could do permanent damage to your voice if you try to do a three-hour radio show today. And she goes, but there is only one way this can work, but there's a time sensitivity. She says, I can give you a steroid shot for your throat. This is, remember, this is the day of the first Rush Limbaugh fill-in. I can give you a steroid shot for your throat, but it only lasts about three to four hours. When is the show? And I was like, well, it just turns out. Maybe now it's 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. I said, the show's at noon. So let's do it. You know, giddy up. Let's see what we got. So I know everyone always asks this. Yes, she gave me a very large booster shot in the bum. You don't actually get it in the throat. So she gave me a shot in the butt. And I could feel my voice kind of coming. It wasn't perfect, by the way, but it was coming back. I mean, I could sort of speak and everything else. And I did that show and... I told Rush's team, they knew that I, I had been sick and, and that this was not my normal voice. And to their credit, they had me back and we had a bunch of great shows after that. I just, I think, was probably good enough, competent enough that first time that I got a call back and I ended up filling in for Rush, I don't know, a dozen times over the next couple of years. But by the end of that show, uh, I'll never forget this, my voice started to go. And I'm telling you, within 30 minutes of my last words, the first time I filled in from Rush Limbaugh, I was back to... Because the, the, it had worn off, I was back to no voice whatsoever. I mean, we just... And I remember walking around 6th Avenue in Manhattan. That's where, right outside where Russia's studio was, right next to Radio City, um, or Rockefeller Center. And I was just like shaking with, with just nerves afterwards. Not because I, I wasn't nervous about doing the show. I was nervous that I was going to lose my voice in the middle of the show. And uh, there was definitely some tequila consumed that night. I can tell you that much. So that's another one of my favorite radio stories. I'll think if there's anything else that comes up, I'll, I'll share it with you. And oh, yeah, just one more thing. Uh, where do we get Shields High? This is a fun one to throw in the mix. So when we used to do a show on Saturdays, which is when I started this, when we started the Freedom Hut, it was on Saturdays, 12 to 3, I remember. And that was, that was fun because I spent all week, I was so excited to get to do a three-hour show every week. I spent all week prepping and reading and researching and by the time I got up there, the three hours was never enough, and it always flew by, and it was really just, it was fun. And the people that are OSS, which we say is obviously could be the Office of Strategic Services in World War II, but it's actually, for us, original Saturday squad, people that have been with me now since 2012. So we're going on, it'll be our eighth year as of February, I believe, of this year. We'll be, we'll be eight years on the year. Um, original Saturday squad and... Uh, also, Shields High comes from those early days when I sometimes would just talk about some parts of ancient history that I had been. I think ancient warfare is really interesting. And we would do uh, just discussions occasionally of that. I would bring it into the conversation. And the uh, ancient Spartans, as we know, Leonidas, the 300, the ancient Spartans would say, uh, come back with your shield or on it. Because if you were on your shield, you obviously have been killed in battle. They would carry you like a litter, uh, use the shield as a litter. And if you held your shield, it was because you won. If you didn't have a shield, it was because you were a shield tosser. Because the very large, heavy shields that phalanx warfare required, if you're going to run away, the first thing you do is throw your shield down and sprint so that nobody can catch you. So you weren't allowed to do that. That would have been cowardice. But also when you're in the phalanx, you would have to be able to hold your shield high enough to protect the flank of the people to your to your left and to protect yourself to the right. And so we started to say that we were shoulder to shoulder in the Freedom Hut, shields high. That is how that came up. That's where it comes from. That's how we get to the end of the show. 
Anyway, uh, on my birthday, like I said, my only present I ask from all of you is to continue to listen to the show, um, tell people about the show, help me spread the word. It matters to me a whole lot, and I really do appreciate it. Uh, it is the greatest honor of my professional career to have all of you listening and to have built this show from nothing. I mean, we had no listeners when we started into what it is today on over 120 stations, by some counts up to 140, I think, uh, hundreds of thousands of people listening, uh, huge download audience in the podcast every day. And that's all a testament to all of you. So I'm going to go enjoy some birthday drinks with some friends and, uh, you know, that'll be, that's my plan for the day. See some family. I hope you have a wonderful new year's and I am so excited to join you all for 2020. Uh, we are going to have one hell of a ride together, my friends. 2020 is going to be the best year yet in the Freedom Hut. I can assure you of that. So have a safe, fun, joyous new year. Happy birthday to me and Shields High Team. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 